You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. It's a Saturday and it's October and we're recording, so now we have like 100% more pumpkin spice than we normally would in a show. It's definitely true. Yeah, this is, um, I'm, I actually have Ugg boots on right now. That's a lot. So, but, so, know, so, so, yeah, so I actually had someone ask me, Tracy, why I don't talk more during podcasts. Oh, well, and, you know why. and I said, well, I said, there's a couple of reasons. One, I let Tracy just go with the flow because Tracy is very well prepared and she's got all these questions. I said, and to be honest with you, the other reason why is because she has this goddamn cord that is just tangled that I can't <laughs> look away from that drives really me bad. up a fucking yeah. wall. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm if, just if, saying. If it makes I'm you feel saying. any better, bro, it, it kind of makes me crazy too. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually, I actually, the night before we record, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I will hang it upside down in a closet to try and like spin out the tangles and things. Yeah. Like I, like I'm a person from the 1980s and, um, yeah, this is how good it gets after spinning out the tangles. So See, can I'm, you even I'm, imagine? I'm, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember uh, corded phones in houses. And yes. I was the guy who sat there. And when that, that cord was tangled up, I had to untangle it. Like I had to straighten oh, it out and, yeah. and get like it from, from being all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, normally you you introduce the guest, but I, I, I've been staring at Dan's picture on the video for uh, uh, like <laughs> – what is it now? Like 10 minutes or something like that. Sure. And I have yeah, to ask something. you, Dan, is, is that an Ikea bookshelf behind you? Yes, that's absolutely an Ikea. It's a billion. I think bookshelf. that's the exact same Ikea bookshelves that I have uh, downstairs. They're it's good. The same color. It's everything. They're such good bookshelves. I love the cheap, bookshelves. but they're sturdy. They're better than what you get at target or oh, like yeah. uh, Walmart yeah. or anything like that. Uh, they, they just, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they do, but they do something to make it's them Swedish a little magic. bit better. Yeah. So anyway, now Tracy's going to introduce you. So, <laughs> Well, the voice you just heard is Dan Moran, who is the author of many different books, but most recently, All Souls Lost. Uh, and we also have the distinction of Dan joining us as a fellow Jabberwock. Um, we're both citizens of the Jabberwocky literary nation here. So hail Jabberwock. How are you doing, Dan? All hail Jack- Jabberwock. Frabjous day. Indeed. Indeed. It's, I'm doing very well. Day. Thank you for thank you for having me on. So it's it's fun for me to have authors on and to try and jump around with as many different um, kind of like styles and genres and things as we can. And I'm really excited about All Souls Lost because it does one of my absolute favorite things that science fiction and fantasy does sometimes. It's essentially using science fiction or fantasy, in this case, fantasy, as a backdrop for using the genre moves of a whole other genre. Um, And in that sense, it's kind of a departure from your galactic Cold War, which was this sort of like spy thriller meets science fiction, but in space, space. kind of, yeah, kind of maneuver. And now we flip the script completely. So catch us up on what All Souls Lost is. Yeah, you, I just want to say you've totally you've got my move now. That's my only move yeah. is jam two things together and that I love and see if make them kiss better. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yes. it's better. It's better because of that. Yeah. Uh, All Souls Lost. Uh, yeah, it's a supernatural detective story, which is a genre that I love. That's sort of like in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. Set in my hometown of Somerville, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Um, it follows a 
somewhat washed up spiritual consultant named Mike Lucifer who had a case go bad and he fled. And now he's coming back a couple of years later uh, and gets embroiled in another case, including shady goings on at a big tech company. Um, so I get to play a little bit. My day job is in technology journalism. So I get to play a little bit with a world that I know I get to play in a, a locale that I know pretty well because I've lived here for 15 years or so. Um, and I get to play around with tropes of a genre that I love, which is sort of the hard boiled slash noir, uh, detective story, which is something I'm a big fan of. So yeah, I, I like any chance to sort of take a bunch of stuff that I like and mix it up in a big pot and see if that yields something delicious. And so far, so good. <laughs> he, 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 he is apparently the jambalaya of authors. So, I mean, that works. I love jambalaya. So that is a high compliment. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. This is a very, um, unimpressive culinary take on my part, but like, I can't get over okra. Like mm. that's my problem with with unfortunately a lot of like there's a lot that I like about um, that that kind of deep yeah. South Louisiana profile but like okra man I it's don't a know tricky texture it is uh, I, yeah. I've had what, it what it's what, easy, it's what easy the to do fuck is going on right now you what I don't even know. what <laughs> welcome it's back to fried okra, okra. <laughs> fried okra is amazing why what I, what is going on here hey, did you drink you don't this me. morning like what. what? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a biased uh, West Coast take that I refuse to accept as a native Chicagoan. Um, mm. I will stand up for my horrible gasoline alcohol that I refuse to drink myself, but will absolutely laugh at other people trying. So. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> contentious. I like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, apparently we woke up on the spicy side of the bed. Quite literally, there's a lot of there's a lot of chili the jambalaya. Going there's on too right much jambalaya now. in the bed. It's very spicy. Yeah, and that's all. Ooh, can you imagine the sheep? Yikes. Um, so we probably <laughs> yep. And Santiago's spicy with that rattle that we just heard in the microphone is the. If you'd like Santiago's. straight up start eating a breakfast burrito right now, then we should, <laughs> we should just I mean, issue Dan our apologies and respect cancel. though. <laughs> honestly, yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of energy that we're rocking right now. So, I mean, you, you said that, like, this is your move. This is the thing you love to do. Take two things that excite you and interest you and say, like, well, what happens if I kind of, like, just start mashing them together? And I'm, I'm interested particularly in, like, why you decided to make the move from the mashup that was your move before to this one now. Like, we're, we're not in space. This is... Yeah, there's some, I guess, bone structure of the spy thriller, which is kind of the cousin of what more yeah. detective work can be. But kind of I, I'm interested in that creative evolution. Yeah, um, I, I read really widely growing up, as many authors do, uh, and love a variety of genres. My mom is a like a dyed in the wool mystery reader. Like that's like 90 percent of what she reads. Um, and so I grew up reading a lot of classic mystery novels. Um I think for me, the, the reason I sort of wanted to make this shift is mainly because like I didn't set out to be like, I am an author of science fiction, space opera or whatever. Like that was not my goal. My goal has always just been to tell stories that I enjoy and find fun. And that happened to be the one that hit first. That was the where I got published first. So, you know, that was kind of something I embraced and I went with there. But I never wanted to be purely just like somebody who only writes science fiction. I don't have any particular like I know there are. There are there are battles about science fiction versus fantasy. I don't I don't subscribe to that. I love science fiction. I love fantasy. I think everything everything yeah. can get along just fine. So yeah. um, 
for me, I, I started out, you know, years ago when I first was writing my first novels that, you know, they got shoved in a trunk and we'll never see the light of day in writing fantasy. Um, and I think at that point, it was just the thing that sort of seized my imagination was like I had an idea. It happened to be set in a fantastical world and I just sort of rolled with it. Um, but I, you know, have a lot of different different influences from different writers. And I never wanted to be pigeonholed, I think, is the, what it comes down to. I never wanted to be pigeonholed as a writer of only a specific genre of things so being able to sort of you know stretch my wings a little bit and play around in something that i have read widely in but haven't really written it's a good challenge and with every book that i do i like to find something new and challenging in and like whether it's a an element of craft um you know trying different narrators or different characters or um, different settings or doing a scene that i've never done before um, or in this case, genre, where it's like I get to play around in a something with different language and different feel and atmosphere to it than the stuff that I've done before. So I think that's the biggest part for me is like, you know, wanting to keep myself creative and flexible by trying to do different things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the commercial side of writing, you know, the, the world of publishing with a capital P is kind of it's strange in, in how it's focused on the bottom line, I think can sometimes discourage us as writers from kind of following those impulses because there's this notion that like your, your readers know you for X. Mm-hmm. They see your name on a book. They are expecting X continue to deliver X. And that becomes some kind of you know formula for ongoing sustained success. And there's a logic to that, but there's also, I think another way of flipping that equation around a little bit and be like, your readers know you, yeah. they hopefully like you. And if they see your name on something that is not X, they may say to themselves like, well, okay, I'll read Y because it's Dan Moran's Y. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go with that. Yeah, and no, so- I think that's absolutely true. I mean, and I have a lot of respect for writers who can play around in different genres, sometimes, you know, incredibly broadly. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of writers who go back and forth between fantasy and science fiction, and, but also I see some who uh, delve into other things. A good friend of mine, Anthony Johnston, writes graphic novels. He wrote the uh, graphic novel on which uh, Atomic Blonde, the Charlize Theron movie, was was based. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's written a lot of spy thrills and stuff like that. But his most recent books, which have been very successful, are cozy mysteries. And it's like, <laughs> it's adorable. great. Like, I love it. Oh I, I know. And, he wrote, and he's great at uh, equally great at those things. And I have a lot of respect for that because... It is not something he had to like get a new headshot because like my headshot's like too dark and edgy for like the cozy mystery <laughs> novel. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think a lot of the I am someone who's always followed writers for themselves. So, you know, I think one of my favorite writers of all time is uh, Lois McMaster Bujold. I was going to say Bujold. Vor- yeah. Yeah, love yeah. the Vorkosigan saga is like my favorite series of books of all time, obviously. And if you read my science fiction books, you'll see that is a huge influence on me. But she also wrote a very successful fantasy series. She's written romance that has kind of a fantasy aspect. Um, you know, she's written all this different stuff. And I, I have uh, a lot of admiration for that. And it's something I kind of wanted to emulate. Yeah. And I mean, in the chronologically first in the sense of it being the beginning of the, the key relationship that is the launch point of the Vorkosigan saga. I mean, Shards of Honor is a science fiction romance. It is two people who can't stand each other stuck in a situation and then eventually they kiss Mm -hmm. and, you know, but, but, you know, space war thrown in there too. Right. Well, and then every book that she does is a different genre. Like she mixes in 
espionage novels. She mixes in like a comedy of manners. Like she does a civil campaign is basically like a, a comedy of manners set against a space yeah. backdrop. And it's, it's awesome. I love it. It's just so delightful to read all those things. Yeah. Yeah. You love feeling yeah, like you're in the hands of an author who's enjoying their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's the, like the, uh, there's another series that she did that I want to say was, was quite popular. Is the, the Paladin? Uh, Paladin of Souls, which was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Five Gods, the World of the Five Gods. Yeah. She's written three or four in there, and then she has this series of novellas she's been doing over the last five or six years that are set in that world, which are tremendous. They're really great. So, yeah, if, uh, if you keep rocking. If you if you look at her as a as an inspiration, the other the other side of that is that she jumps all over the timeline too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she has yeah. no qualms about going. Oh, I'm going to write this. Oh, now I'm going to write this. Now I'm going to go over here. Now I'm going to go over here. Which is yeah. kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. And, and her, she has that following that's going to go along with it no matter what because yep. they're just there for the ride. And that's that's a great thing to cultivate. First time someone recommended Bujold to me, I, I looked it up online and I found uh, recommended uh, orders of reading mm-hmm. for different things. And I was like, huh, haven't seen that before. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there there are camps there are matters yeah. of disagreement it gets uh it can get heated but yeah yeah well and this kind of in a very loose way relates to both the the how how are you sort of like meant to encounter a text thing and also the um the the sort of genre mashup thing for about a year and a half now my um my husband and i have been exposing our daughter who's 12 now to watching the Buffy verse with us. Mm. And so we started, of course, with the beginning with Buffy, the vampire slayer. Then when, then when in the timeline, angel started being a thing, then we ended up going to the watchers council blog site and looking at like, what is their recommended watch order? Um, so that we have a sense of, is it ever important to kind of follow the sequence in a certain kind of way based on how they aired relative to each other. And so we've been doing that. We just finished uh, season five of Buffy not too long ago. So now the watch order is really important mm-hmm. going into season six. Um, so you watch like a big pile of, of Angel before you even go back to Buffy. And in addition, of course, to that being kind of about there's like this giant meta narrative that's not it's not Bujoldian in that kind of sophisticated way. It is very much a, a sort of these are these are genre mashup products that mm-hmm. are for yeah. at least me like i'm in my middle 40s this is this is sort of the stuff that i grew up on and now i'm just kind of exposing my my kid to it and one of the things i keep reflecting on is how delightfully unsubtle they are as texts mm-hmm. and it kind of makes me think about like, especially angel delightfully unsubtle as a text um I think a lot about how that's really kind of in keeping with the whole noir genre. And then I think yeah. about your your protagonist being named Mike Lucifer and I'm like, well that's very on the nose right there, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm kind yeah. of I'm kind of interested in how fantasy and the noir you know detective space kind of become a fun place to like almost almost comment on the genres themselves by choosing where you're going to sort of be on the nose with their attributes. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, the, I think the name Mike Lucifer popped into my head at some point, and I just like, so man, it's got a good ring to it, right? It's a nice, nice yeah. cadence. I mean, and the devil is in the of, details. Indeed, yeah. I almost put devil like was one of those things where I was like, could I work devil into every single like title if I did a series of these? It's like probably yeah. there's enough, there's enough expressions. Um, 
I, you know, and you think of like classic hard-boiled detectives like Mike Hammer and stuff like that. Like it's Sam Spade. None of these, none of these names are subtle, right? Like they all have kind of a a larger than life heightened quality about them. And I think that's one reason noir works and you know detective works in well in conjunction with sort of a supernatural environment because everything is kind of heightened already so things that i think in other more straight laced sort of um narratives people might like raise an eyebrow at you know something like that and be like really this this is this that guy's yeah. name is mike lucifer but like in a like fantasy novel you just kind of go with it like right like, of course and his I, name is mike lucifer. yeah why not <laughs> um you know i i and i this has come up a couple times where i've um I've read stuff recently where uh, or even the last several years where character authors have characters with names that are actual people, but I think are unintentional. Usually Um, Mm. my favorite one of these years ago, I read uh, a book by my pal Jay Posey and uh, he had a side character in it. And this was like from early 2010s or something. I want to say a side character named Mike Pence. (laughs) And I was like, dude, (laughs) I'm reading it in like 2016 or 17 or something. And being like, "Uh Oh Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes those things are accidental, but yeah, I think it is a great, it is a a great point that you can use this as sort of a commentary and a way to pick a little bit at the, the tropes and the stuff that is a little ridiculous because there is a suspension of disbelief when you sort of invite in these other aspects, you know, this is a super natural story. So there's, there's ghosts and there's demons and there's stuff like that. Um, and as long as you're willing to sort of embrace the internal logic of it, a lot of the other stuff that might seem somewhat, you know, tropish because you're playing in a genre that has a lot of tropes and, you can try to subvert those, but a lot of times, you know, people read these genres because they like the tropes, right? The tropes mm-hmm. draw people in and like, yeah, you can do a new spin on them or, or add something. But I, I think it's good to be able to have those sort of tried and true aspects to it and then be able to make them something new by infusing a different sort of sensibility to it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost kind of like a force multiplier, too. It'd be like, well, we have this layer of tropes with this layer of suspension of disbelief. But now that everyone knows I'm also playing in this genre's playground, I'm going to have their tropes and their layer of disbelief. So now I've got twice the much suspension of so much suspense. Sometimes they play into each other, which is cool. Like sometimes you adapt them or they mix in ways that you didn't expect. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's the most delightful, like surprising moment as an author writing these things and hitting a, po- a point where you're like, oh, but if I do this and this, then I can play with both of those expectations right. at the same time. Right, yeah. I mean, we see other places where there's signs of a continuing appetite for for sort of novel-feeling mashups of different things. Like, what is the success of She-Hulk? I mean, mm-hmm. beyond it being one more way of monetizing Marvel assets for the big House of Mouse. But, but the success of She-Hulk is really like, how do we do courtroom drama meets the world of comic books you'd be like oh no someone's suing a superhero or like this i guess that could happen like in a i think that's the interesting thing you know i'm a big follower of both the mcu and i'm a huge star wars fan and i think both of those as sort of genres almost unto themselves have to deal with this challenge of how do we tell different types of stories how do we integrate different like you know, beyond just ending up telling the same story 20 times, which, you know, they've certainly told the same stories enough time. But I like the fact that they can take one and make it like, okay, this is going to have a more, you know, it's a it's an MCU story. You can still see the bones, but like a horror, you know, overlay with something like Multiverse of Madness or something like a like a legal sitcom almost with She-Hulk. Yeah. And like, 
use that as a way to say it's both this thing that you know and you're into, but also there's a different layer on it. Yeah, and, and or I'm, is John Le Carre in space? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm uh, I'm stunned by your admission of of being into Star Wars. Uh, you hide it well. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> to indicate to me that you know, looking at you right now in the video that you yeah. might be a Star Wars fan. There's nothing, like nothing. I it, like. I know. Are you a slave one to to Star Wars or like? I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't have the, uh, if you see there's a black carrying case behind me, which is the lightsaber I built in Disney World like two weeks ago. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, um, it's very subtle, though. Other than that, everything is very, I keep it well hidden. I'm also wearing a nerdy Star Wars joke t-shirt invented by my (laughs) wife and I. So, boy, uh, that's going to (laughs) go... Yeah, really deep, really fast. <laughs> so, I mean, on the subject of things that don't carry well over podcasts, uh, hold on, that have hold on, a video hold on, element. Hold on, before you before you explain my jokes, I w- yeah, yeah. I do want to say that uh, the overlap between so I am both a Star Wars fan, but I'm also a Star Trek fan, and I you know I've loved both since I was a kid. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a Starfleet Academy hoodie right now, and I've got my my. Uh, yeah, my pants are actually Star Trek. They say Star Trek down the side. Nice. Um, and it, it's got the Delta as well. And I've got Spock behind me, and I've got yeah. Spock with my with his cat here. Not his cat, but the cat from that episode. Um, and then you already saw Grogu. Yeah, and there's sure. more Grogu up there that you can't see probably. But uh, the overlap between Strange New Worlds uh, and then Ahsoka – and then uh, lower decks have had me on an emotional roller coaster ride for months, and it's just like they're 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 really fucking with me emotionally, like back and forth and back and forth. It's like holy crap, man! It's like uh, uh, on on a Tuesday I'm getting uh, I'm getting an Ahsoka episode that's messing with me, and then on a Thursday I'm getting a Star Trek of some sort episode that's messing with me, and then they're throwing out the new animated lower decks uh, style. Uh, Star Trek animation specials on on Star Trek.com and, and it's just like man it's a good time to be a fan of both but also you're it's very emotional I, I had that moment I thought maybe it was last year or something where it's like oh man if I could go back in time to high school me and tell him right that on like subsequent nights you're gonna watch like a new Star Trek show a new Star Wars show a Marvel show and a Lord of the Rings show I would yeah. be like teenage me would be like Really, you use time travel for this? This was this was yeah. what you're going to do with this? Uh, <laughs> but also, he would have his mind blown. I still remember There's going so much to, uh, to. I still remember going to Manchester Mall in Fresno, California. Uh, I, I probably even rode my bike if I didn't take the bus. But I went to I went to Manchester Mall and, and slapped down my money at a bookstore in the mall to pre-order Heir to the Empire. Well, I found out about like, it after the fact. I remember reading that as a yeah, that's that's another huge influence on me. Tim Zonstron's trilogy yeah. is like way up there for my my sci-fi work. Yep. And then and then I would always go into the back and they had the wall of Trek. Like they mm-hmm. had an entire shelf that was dedicated to the Star Trek novels. And I would go through and find the ones I didn't have and I would buy those and read those. But yeah, it's it's a it's a completely different world now with all this extra stuff that we're getting. And I'm I'm for one I'm very grateful for it because ugh. It's just so good. So happy. 
Anyway, Tracy, you were going to explain why I was giving Dan shit about... No, no, no. I wasn't going to explain why. I was going to use that as my semi-polished segue into, you know, some things don't translate very well into podcasts, but apparently you do, Dan, because you are on nine billion of them as a co-host. Um, in, in seriousness, though, like looking at, like, we've got on your website, if people were to go to Dan Miranda or dmoran.com, they would discover that you are a co-host on six different podcasts that are in semi-regular production. Yes. Um, so first off, and, um, and congratulations, you, and I'm sorry. I'm very tired. Are you, are you doing any of the uh, editing on any of those? I was up until last year. I was producing and editing most of them. Um, but I also now have uh, a 15 month old, so I cut back a bit and made some of my co-host, my freeloading co-hosts, uh, who had gone years without ever having to touch an editing piece of editing Ooh, software. I like that phrase, <laughs> a freeloading co-host. <laughs> you don't know I don't anything like about what that's I don't like, judge huh? other co-hosts, only my own. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes, I did. I did a lot of the production work on them for many years, and I have dialed back a bit. And in one case, we actually have an editor who works for us now, which is ah, fabulous. Luxury, oh, wow. luxury, it is a luxury. I enjoy luxury. it. I, I'm grateful for it every day. I tell you so, what, if I had an editor, we'd be doing video. Oh yeah, all different. And then, I, then I would have to have like not a basement with a bunch of storage behind <laughs> it, so, like that. That would be the side effect of us going. And I also, I wouldn't have literally stopped the treadmill 20 minutes before we had gotten off of it and then sat down here. I'm still a it's big, a fresh sweaty look. treadmill. It's just really, yeah. you know, just, pulled I'm from, dewy fresh. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's dewy freshness yeah. um, and be happy there's not smell-o-vision. Um, but thinking about, like, you've got six different podcasts here that you're part of. And we've got, we've got, like superhero trivia and we've got kind of analyses of of the the world of star wars and we have rewatches of um and commentaries on science fiction films and technology commentaries and and it's just like everything man so i'm kind of curious as to how for you your role in all these different sort of projects, like how does it scratch important itches for you? Mm. Like how, how do all these things kind of come together in a way that like, yeah, yeah, this is, these are all the different voices and spaces I need. I got into podcasting kind of by accident. I mean, as I think many of us probably do. Um, Cause I used to be a editor at a technology magazine and uh, I was laid off along with many other people during one of the uh, bad periods. And I set out my own as a freelance journalist. And I had started doing some po podcasts earlier on during my tenure there, including um, some pop culture stuff that my um, then boss, now uh, a blogging partner, Jason Snell, had created. Um, and I got more and more into it and more and more interested in it. And I think fundamentally what it all comes down to in terms of scratching itches is like, these are conversations I would have even if they weren't being recorded and distributed places. Like I'm interested about talking about these things and I'm lucky enough to do it in pretty much every case with people who are not only equally interested in talking about these things, but are people that I have a good relationship with, a good rapport with. And it, so it makes for an interesting show. So, you know, when I sit down with my pal, Tony Sindelar, uh, and my wife, Kat on <laughs> our star Wars podcast, like the three of us would be like hanging out and doing and doing pod, like talking about Star Wars anyways, even if yeah. we weren't recording it because we just we're all into it. We're all big fans. And it happens that I think we have a really good uh, ebb and flow and really good chemistry. And so that ends up making uh, for a great show. And 
similarly, you know, with shows about technology, like I, I, I write about technology every day. Um, I think about it a lot because that's what I've been doing with my professional career for 16, 17 years. So, uh, it's something that I enjoy talking about and thinking about with other people. And the, the older I get, the, in some ways, the more fun it is to just sit down and talk about these things than to write about them. Even like a lot of times, like I should write a blog post. And I was like, Oh man, that sounds like a lot of work. Uh, but if I just sit me down and like in front of a microphone where I just get to talk with people kind of off the cuff, like I really enjoy that. It, it, it really, as a format and a medium, it really works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people who are wondering what podcast we're referring to here, we've got Clockwise, The Rebound, Biff, Inconceivable, Now Playing with Lex and Dan, and A Complicated Profession. Um, so they all relate to different topics and you can kind of get the breakdown of what each of them is about, as well as links to the most recent episodes. If you go to dmoran.com slash you, you, you pronounce one wrong because hmm? you have to say it in the voice of the grand Nagus inconceivable. <laughs> Perhaps. All right. So I think this is probably, I think we're all warmed up. We're good for it now. Picks of the week. Sure, we can do Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. All right. So, uh, Patrick, what have you been enjoying lately? Fried okra. <laughs> ah, touche, sir. Well played. I hope you brought enough for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Fried okra is really good. So that's pick number one. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Because yep. it's, yep, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, my my other pick, my second pick, uh, is actually Ahsoka, the entire series, uh, because I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. When I talk about getting emotional, episode five was very emotional for me. But I, I enjoyed the, the show. I enjoyed the series. I, I liked Lars Mikkelsen playing a live-action Grand Admiral Thrawn. He also voiced the character in Rebels. And I just, I enjoyed it. So that's, that, that's my pick. I'm not going to go too deep into stuff because I don't want to be spoilery. Uh, but uh, I, I did enjoy Ahsoka quite a bit. I, I think that they should just give Star Wars to Dave Filoni and walk away and let him, let him handle it. So, there. There we go. Yeah. You, you are allowed to comment, Dan, if you, if you disagree oh, with yeah. me completely. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, not at all. I think that's uh, – I enjoyed the show a lot, too. I think it was uh, – it struggled a little bit with some pacing stuff for me, but it, it was something that I really enjoyed watching, and I love all those characters. I'm a big Rebels fan, so for me, that I, was yeah, me. kind of the delight of it was being able to see the fates of characters that I had wondered about for many, many years <laughs> – the only thing that worries me is that uh, Disney Plus did release a video of the Lothcat that was living in the tower, the communications mm. tower, with uh, Sabine uh, in the tower with the door shut. And oh, I'm no. worried about who is feeding and caring for this Lothcat and is it now trapped in the tower until someone comes back uh, to find Wasn't it. Isn't there like a dead mercenary or something in there? Couldn't it just eat that? I, I think there was at one point. Or wasn't that a robot, though? Or it was a like robot. A, You're right. Not droid. very edible. I think that's yeah. the, the downside there. Although, I, my, my, I mean, rabbits here in, in Denver do chew the cables on cars and stuff. So maybe the Lothcat can chew the cables. They're Minox or? No. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, my wife, we went to Disney World, and my wife was really disappointed because she wanted a stuffed loft cat. That was the one thing she was looking for. Mm. And apparently they are going to have them, but they don't have them yet. So ah. we'll have to go back, I guess. I did oh, see there darn, was a there was a, <laughs> there was a video of uh, Hera is now part of of the Star Wars yeah. stuff at at Disney World and Disneyland. Only Disneyland, so, it turns out. That was very upsetting oh. to us. Ahsoka too. Ah. They're both only at Disneyland in California for some reason. I don't and know Chopper, why. Chopper, right? Yeah. Oh, and she loves Chopper. We uh, we ran into a Chopper uh, at it. We went to a, a John Williams uh, Star Wars concert out here in Western Massachusetts. And they had 3PO and R2. And then my wife saw there was a chopper. And she said in this like absurdly loud voice in a line full of kids like chopper. And (laughs) I've never been so. uh, Yeah, I've never been so in love. (laughs) That's right. That's my girl right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amazing. So, Dan, how about you? What was your pick? I'm a pick a TV show that I just started watching. I'm a bit behind the times because I always have a big queue of TV stuff. So this is from, you know, first aired a couple of years ago, but uh, just watched the first season in a very fast pace. And that is The Bear. Oh, that's a good show. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. And I had heard a lot of people like warning me going in like, oh, it's very stressful. And it's like, yeah, it yeah. definitely has a stressful element to it. I don't find myself as stressed up by television because television something I do to relax and like, most of the time, it's fine for me. Although the show that used to get me stressed out that my wife would make fun of me for was The Great Bridge Bake Off because when they're running around with like no time left and they're trying to put stuff together, I'm always like, I have like flashbacks to me being in the kitchen. Um, but The Bear for me, I really, I think what I liked about it is honestly, it kind of reminded me of Andor. Um, and there is actually one actor who appears in both, which is uh, a nice little crossover. But um, it is extremely confident storytelling. It throws you in the deep end. It doesn't explain itself. You have to pick up who these characters are and what's going on and the dynamics. And then there's a lot of jargon and stuff like that. But it never really stops to hold your hand. And I'm always in admiration of a show that can do that and do it success and still make you intrigued and invested in the characters and the stakes. And, you know, the stakes are ultimately kind of small. It's like about life in this restaurant in Chicago. Um and, but, you know, it does have these larger, like, knock-on aspects to it, you know, talking about things like changing uh, city that they're in and, um, you know, obviously some struggles with mental health and, and addiction and stuff like that. But it doesn't, it doesn't like, dive hard into it, which is nice because, like, it doesn't feel depressing. Like, it no. still has a lightness to it that I really enjoy. So I... I blazed through that first season and I am really looking forward to the second, which people have told me is even better. So, uh, yeah, high, high marks for me. It's a, it's a really intense show. I, I, I liked it quite a bit and I, uh, having, having grown up at least for, for like the first eight or nine years of my life in an, in an Italian restaurant in Chicago and seeing the kitchen, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, it brought back memories. I believe Very it. Very cool. All right. So uh, I'm not picking a TV show. I'm picking a book. And this is actually for folks who have been, yeah, folks who have been listeners for a while. Um, This is going to be a pick that you may remember me picking around this time last year. Uh, And I make no apologies of it because I'm doing my yearly reread of Roger Zelazny's A Night in Lonesome October. And so if you are not familiar with this particular book, the whole, um, we'll say gimmick behind it, and I say gimmick with love, is uh, this book, which is a a sort of slender 200-ish pages novel, 
has all these different characters that are drawn from across the world of um, kind of fantasy horror. We have a character who you can figure out pretty quickly is probably Jack the Ripper. Um, there's Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. Um, there's a Rasputin-like character. There is, uh, there's the, the Dracula and so on and so forth. And they're all being drawn together in this area outside of London for reasons we don't fully understand. And chapter by chapter, the story unfolds, told from the perspective of Jack the Ripper's dog, Snuff. Um, so Snuff has a job to do that we don't fully understand. And chapter by chapter, um, we begin to assemble an understanding of what these um, sort of like gothic fictitious, semi-fictitious characters are up to and why it involves one another and why each of them has a sort of animal cohort uh, companion. And ultimately, there's this like very Lovecraftian thing going on in the background of it, but it is a deeply charming, extremely cleverly written, very snappily paced book as are generally all things Zelazny. Um, it also happens to be the last complete book uh, that he created and which was published uh, shortly before his death. Um, and so people who are big fans of Zelazny, like myself, uh, have a habit of every year in October reading A Night in the Lonesome October, one chapter a night, because it has 31 chapters. And some of the chapters are a single page and some of them are, are significantly more robust than that. Um, certainly you can just sit down and read the whole thing in a night if you're keen to, and there's no harm in that, but there's a great deal of fun in sort of getting pulled along piece by piece and going, what the hell is even going on here? And then you get the next piece the next night and you're like, oh, and then it, because of that experience, it yields to a reread so well, because once you actually know where the story is going on the act of rereading it, you can see so much more clearly how Zelazny is moving all the chess pieces in a very clever way to both conceal information from people who don't know the story yet and to reward people who do so that they can go, oh, oh, I get it now. I see why I was getting this piece of information here and I didn't even recognize it as a piece of information. Um, so if you're the sort of person who loves aggressive mashups of different sorts of things and also really kind of confident, artful storytelling that plunges you into the deep end with no apologies, a night in the lonesome October is a great deal of fun. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a Halloween advent calendar. It really <laughs> is, but for for book nerds, yeah. For book nerds, yeah. I confess, I, ha I don't know of this book, but I'm adding it to my library. Uh, it's very it's very hard to find physical copies of it anymore. It's largely out of print in physical form. Some libraries will have it. Um, but you can also get ebook versions of it. Um, and so if you're somebody who doesn't mind reading in that format and just wants to press a couple buttons and download it and have it ready to go, um, I'm pretty sure all the extant ebook platforms have it. Um, and some of them even have the version with uh, Gahan Wilson's illustrations. It's an illustrated book. The illustrations are just bonkers. They're just they, they look like they were made by like a like a drunk eight year old who had. <laughs> Dracula vaguely described to him. And it's it's sort of interesting to know that this is the intentional art of a grown-ass man. Wow. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. All right. So we've been on quite a journey here. Uh, hopefully it's a journey that will end with some people checking out All Souls Lost. But in the meantime, where can people find your work, find you, find all cool things, Dan Moran? Yes. Uh, you can find all about me at dmoren.com, D-M-O-R-E-N.com. Uh, that has lists of my books as well as my podcasts and all of my various technology writings. 
Um, as far as those podcasts, I do a couple tech shows, Clockwise and The Rebound, as well as several pop culture related podcasts over at theincomparable.com, uh, including trivia shows, movie shows, and all sorts of various things. I'm also a tech writer at sixcolors.com and write a weekly or bi monthly column at macworld.com, where I used to be an editor. Um, and I'm on some social media stuff. Social media. What a great time to be on social media. Um, I'm mainly active on Mastodon. You can find me at dmorin uh, at zeppelin.flights. Um, and that's where I post mostly, but I'm also lurking a little bit on Blue Sky and Threads. So uh, those are... <laughs> I'm still dealing, as we all are, with the fallout of the whatever happened to Twitter. The artist formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. All right. I have well, thoughts on that that I'm not going to mention yeah. right now, but oh. I do have a question for yes. you. Uh, which which superhero uh, like bugs Batman the most? Is this a joke? No. Oh, which one bugs him the most? Yeah. Like uh, which one does does he 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 like he gives him a lot of shit constantly? It's a him gives him a lot of shit constantly, and just he he bugs him. This is not the, the flash. You're doing this because of the superhero trivia thing. <laughs> yes, it's it's Hal Jordan because he is the man oh. without fear. He does not fear Batman, oh. and that bugs the shit out of Bruce Wayne because that's his whole shtick. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. I I had my green my picture on Twitter for years was with the Green Lantern power ring. Uh, nice, but yeah. I used to have I used to have more toys than this, believe it or not. Uh, including I had the I had the old uh, I had the old Hal Jordan with the with the battery, and when you squeezed his legs, his his hand went up. I don't know if you remember that, that like the power action, that, power in the action. Context, that what were they called? Power <laughs> action. Who knows? Oh god, I can't remember. Super time. friends, like power action, super power friends, action. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you squeeze it, and his and his ring came up. His ring hand came up every time. Yeah, yeah it was really weird. But anyway, so there you go. All the visuals of that are a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. See you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All good things. Here we are, at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think. As of this recording, it might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. 
We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast. And it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> When someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.